Hello there, how's it going? This is the Not The Top 20 podcast. It's sponsored by Betfair. It's the Monday pod. And it is with me, Ali Maxwell, with him, George, Alec, both of us, sober as a judge. This is time for serious analysis. George, Alec, game face on. How are you? How was EFL on Quest on Saturday? Great show, as ever. Thank you, mate. Yeah, it was great fun, as ever. Always love being on with, with Clinton. Um, who is a great man um, and always love being on from the top and being able to talk about the championship as well. So a lovely Saturday and then a Sunday spent with family. We've got a hell of a pod ahead. We've got lots of interesting football-y stuff. We've got a bit of off-field stuff. We've got a bit of everything. Thankfully, we're ready to take on the serious topics. No more John Seymour. No more bro <laughs> versus bro. No more cold and flu. You know, half cut. Ali and George are back in the cupboard, potentially never to return. Could we just clarify that we were we weren't actually drunk at the time? You know, it was just it was the remnants of the the end of the weekend rather than us actually sitting down. Because otherwise, people are going to think we were just getting pissed on a Monday morning. When I I don't want that to be the image that we're putting out there. I think there might have been some residual. Some residual. That's fine. Listening back, particularly the next day after a good sleep, I was. I didn't recognise myself, put it that way. I just think it's important that we don't portray ourselves as being on the special brew at 10am on a Monday morning after a stag do. I agree. And, you know, it was it was with a mixture of delight and dismay that we got a lot of messages from people saying that was their favourite ever podcast. Because <laughs> those conditions, George, are frankly not realistic to recreate each week. So apologies to those who enjoyed it. It's not going to happen too often. Having said that... We have got the EFL Awards in a couple of Sundays' time, so who knows? We ranked 18th in the, in the uh, comedy podcast charts last week, which is exciting. <laughs> let's talk football, let's talk championship, let's pay homage to the best result of the weekend, in my opinion, and then we'll move on to what I consider to be the, the biggest talking point, the biggest story of the weekend. Best result of the weekend for me came at the end of it. Well, we've got a game tonight, Monday night, Huddersfield against Luton, third versus fourth. It's a cracker. It also hasn't happened yet. So no analysis of that. Sadly, we will be watching it together and I cannot wait for that. But Sunday, 3pm, Coventry travelled to Fulham and did the double over the champions elect. Uh, they won 4-1, didn't they, at the Rico. They've won 3-1 now at Craven Cottage. No one else has achieved the double against Fulham, although Sheffield United do have a chance to do so when they meet on the 7th of May. At their best, George, Coventry City, a joy to watch. You can look at it negatively and say we haven't seen them at their best that often, but I prefer to celebrate what we have seen. These two wins against Fulham, that 4-1 win against Sheffield United the other week, sensational from the Rockin' Robins. No, Rockin' Robins is sky blue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the, the first couple of goals, I think Fulham will feel pretty annoyed about conceding. Um, the first being a free header from a corner. Very soon afterwards, Mark Rodak should have done much, much better in, in stopping the shot in from uh, from Jokeres. And suddenly they were 2-0 down after 25 minutes. Um, it was a, an unbelievably entertaining end-to-end game after that, as you'd expect, given, you know, I guess this even going into the game, looked like on paper it should have been a high-scoring affair. You've got Fulham, who are, um, as we know, just a very attacking side, who have plenty of firepower up against a commentary side with very little to play for, apart from wanting to do the double over the, over the league leaders. And it was a great game for that reason as well. Uh, Fulham had, as you'd expect, having gone 2-0 down at home, plenty of chances to try and get back into the game. Uh, Cabano, probably with the best at 2-0, hitting the woodwork late in the first half. Carvalho hitting the woodwork as well. But, you know, for Coventry, this is, it feels to me like this is kind of a season where it probably is an opportunity loss, not because they deserve or, or should be by any right in the top six, but because we've seen this season how good this this group of players can be and, and beating 
Fulham 7-2 on aggregate over the over 180 minutes, I think is a signifier of if this group stays together with a couple of additions and we know how good under Chris Badlam, Coventry's recruitment has been over the past three or four seasons. So you can be pretty confident that if Coventry are going to go out and, and get in four or five, their strike rate with with sidings being successful is so good that it will elevate their their team further with the work that they've also done in terms of, of, of signing down key players such as O'Hare and, and Gustavo Harmer uh, and a couple of the, the defenders to, to new deals as well. You know, the, I think today was the, or Sunday was the day where we saw that Coventry are probably a side to be pretty keen on, on for next season, um, even if this season's going to be a step too far. So I'm really interested in in the sort of thread that you've that you've pulled out there about sort of looking at commentary season as a whole and how positively or negative or otherwise people should be uh, thinking about it because I agree with everything you say. And there's two teams that spring to mind as quite an interesting comparison to Coventry that I wanted to ask you about. Even before you said that, I was ready to ask you about this. Queen's Park Rangers and Blackburn and Coventry City. Uh, now, Coventry were the first of this lot to be towards the very top of the table, and that was now a good few months ago, and they've been out of it for some time. But right now, with, what is it, five, six games to go, Coventry, QPR and Blackburn are all within five places and four points of each other, all of them just outside the playoffs, between seven and, and uh, where a cov, 10th or 11th, I think it is. Yeah, 10th. But two of those teams, George, QPR and Blackburn, we're going to talk about in a little bit more length later on, but we might as well tackle them now. They didn't win. Over the weekend, QPR lost again. Blackburn drew it home to Blackpool, a poor second-half performance, uh, not picking up the, the victory that they were expected to, to do so. And those two clubs feel like they're somewhere near rock bottom at the moment in terms of atmosphere, in terms of fan base, expectation, excitement for the end of this season and the start of next season. And then you've got Coventry City at the bottom of the group with Mark Robbins just bopping along pretty calmly and, as you say, probably quite looking forward to next season already. Yeah, I, I think this is all about... Um the distribution of results and how it impacts the way we think about teams where um, you've got both Blackburn and QPR who've had two extremes in terms of the way that their seasons have unfolded. And you've got Coventry who, despite clearly a a very good start and then a a bit of a tailing off, haven't had such a prolonged spell of miserable results. Even in times where they've been been a bit poorer, the performances have been okay and they've got the odd results to kind of keep them in touch. So, you know, it comes down to the way that we judge teams based on runs of form rather than or runs of results rather than you know all encompassing performance over the course of a season. Now, if you look at Coventry and QPR's records this season, they are remarkably similar. They've both played forty-one games. They've both got fifty-nine points. Coventry's goal difference is three. QPR's goal difference is two. Coventry have scored fifty-four, conceded fifty-one. QPR have conceded uh, have scored fifty-five, conceded fifty fifty-three. Cov won 16 games, QPR won 17 games. You know, these are as similar records as you're, you know, as, as you're really going to see, not just in terms of the points tally, but also across the board in terms of how many goals they've scored and conceded and how many games they've won. Yet, there is no question that if you were to do a, a straw poll right now of championship football fans um, and asked who's done the better job this season between Mark Robbins and Mark Warburton, I reckon it would be 98% Robbins. Now, part of that is, of course, because of pre-season expectation. However... Because QPR started so well, I think it's easy to forget that QPR weren't expected to be a, a top six team necessarily. They were expected to challenge, possibly, and you know they were certainly in the conversation for a playoff spot. We had we had them in there. We had them in there, of course. But I'm, I'm not saying they weren't expected to be there. I'm just saying that it wasn't like a, you know they weren't on a par with with some of the sides around them necessarily. You know your Sheffield Uniteds or whoever you know, Forest even before the season started. So that obviously comes into it, but. 
it's basically because QPR have gone on this desperate run, probably because they stayed towards the top longer than QPR, so than Coventry. So it was within their grasp. I mean, I remember having a conversation, I think, with you and with um, with Andy Watson, uh, Blackburn fan Andy, um, who, you know, I remember, I remember speaking to him, I think back in February, and we were talking about Blackburn's chances of, of, um, of getting into the top two. And we kind of agreed that QPR were, were, were probably the most likely to do it. And ever since then, you know, it's been it's been incredible to turn around. So just a matter of eight weeks ago, we were saying the QPR were the, were the likely ones to challenge Bournemouth. Now they're not going to finish in the playoffs. And that in itself is, irrespective of what happened before, is quite clearly a, you know, an incapability of carrying out a duty by everyone at the club. And that is going to be a black mark against Mark Warburton's name. And especially because Warburton's contract runs out at the end of the season, uh, unlike Coventry, where even though they filled those places early on, um, they were never within touching distance. I think it never got further than Coventry fans were starting to believe that possibly it, it was it was an expectation. And I guess the other key thing is, as we say, because of results and performances at the moment, it feels like Coventry are building towards something for next season. Whereas for QPR, the way it's falling apart means that they, they might have a new manager next season and they might have to look to, to kind of reassess the way they, they are building their squad going forward. So two very similar records, but two clubs who feel to me like they're on very, very different trajectories. Funny old game, isn't it? And I think this is the, the point where I'm legally obliged to say something like, this is the championship for you. This this is the championship where the most unpredictable league in the world. It's it's crazy out there. Be safe. Um, they were missing two centre-backs, McFadgen and Clark Salter. They got Jake Bidwell playing left centre-back the last few games as well. Very much out of position there, but doing his best. Um, and then, you know what, George, every every Monday when Coventry win, I look for other Coventry players to discuss. Uh, sometimes it's Sheaf, sometimes it's Darbo. Those guys have had good good performances this season, but you cannot escape three names, basically. And that's Harmer, and that's O'Hare, and that's Gyok. Uh, and, and they are some of the highest performing players in the Championship this season across the whole uh, 40 games so far, I would suggest. And they were on it here against the best team as well. We saw a bit of everything from Coventry and a big win uh, as well. Now, the big story of the weekend for me involves two matches. One of them, Nottingham Forest's 2-0 home win against Birmingham. And the second one, the early game on Saturday, live on Sky, Sheffield United's 0-0 draw with Bournemouth. I think we should do them together. Uh, in terms of the matches themselves, George, you had a very close eye on, on Sheffield United-Bournemouth that early game. Why don't you tell me about the, uh, the ins and outs of that 0-0 draw? Well, I know you hate talking about refs, so we'll start with that because we can get through it quickly. Um, because uh, before we talk about the performances, Sheffield United fans have every reason to feel pretty aggrieved by the fact that they weren't awarded a penalty. Um, there was, I think it's probably one of the most blatant penalty decisions that hasn't been given in the league this season. And often you can make an excuse for the referee by saying that they, they were unsighted. But uh, as Nat Phillips <laughs> takes a massive swipe at the ball, completely misses it, and kicks Morgan Gibbs-White all the way up his leg um, quite hard. It is beyond my belief how that cannot be spotted and given a penalty. So let's just put that one away because it's boring, but but we have to mention it when we're talking about the game. Um, and in the game itself, Sheffield United were, were by far the better team. Um, they created the best chances. Uh, Morgan Gibbs-White had two of them. Um, well, probably the two best, you would say, in the game, although Lloyd Kelly did his best to try and score a couple of own goals in the first half. Um but Mark Travers deserves massive credit here because he was the reason, effectively, why Bades weren't ahead in this one fairly early on. Uh, the first save it was a really weird save where, you know, you and I, um, you know, we know we're not the best goalkeeping analysts out there. Um, but here's my attempt to try and do it. It was basically 
Gibbs White kind of going down on goal. And you always think the best thing for a keeper to do in that in that sense is kind of to hold that hold their height and make themselves as big as possible until the strike comes in. Travers did kind of the opposite. He almost like kind of went went like guessed going down and made himself as very very small as the ball came in. But then it was an incredible reflex save with his left arm to kind of parry it over over the um, over the bar. Um, so I would say poor positioning and then incredible reflexes to make the save. Well, David uh, which... Priest is now working full-time at Sunderland as their goalkeeping coach, and I think there's a gap in the market for a media goalkeeper analyst, and I think you've just inserted yourself. That was sensational. <laughs> Thank you. So what I would say is it looked better maybe than it was because he was in a bad position to start with, but either way, you have to applaud the um, the reflexes. And then a very good save in the uh, in the second half where Gibbs-White was through one-on-one. Covers came out early, and, and I, I think... I think he might have been trying to go through his legs, Gibbs White, but he kind of um, hit Travers on the leg and, and deflected it away. And then uh, Aremovic, uh, for those who don't know uh, about the story of the new uh, Sheffield United centre-back, he was playing at Ruben Kazan, a uh, Croatian international, and obviously with everything going on in Russia at the moment, um, kind of managed to negotiate his way out of his contract and signed for Sheffield United a couple of weeks ago. This was just his second appearance. Um probably a bit of a coup to be honest and this one of those signings where have happened in the summer and we were evaluating our um you know the signings i think chef united bringing in a croatian 25 year old croatian international center back who's been playing european football fairly recently probably would have made more of a splash than it did by coming by happening um under the radar at the beginning of april but um yeah, he's not a goal scorer. And as we said on Quest, he hadn't scored a goal since 2018. The ball fell to him in the 94th minute, horribly kind of hooked wide. And then he immediately had a nosebleed, which I thought was um, pretty apt for someone for someone who hasn't. I mean, we watched it back so many times to try and work out where he'd been hit in the face. And we couldn't find it anywhere. So he literally... It's altitude. He, he literally got a nosebleed by going into the opposition uh, box, which was a nice moment. I do hope he's okay sensational so everything kind of pointed towards Sheffield United being both hard done by and also letting themselves down with with finishing and also uh, unfortunate to come up against a goalkeeper in good form uh, yeah it, it meant one point for for each of those teams then Nottingham Forest I'd just like to quickly credit McBurney because he's got a lot of flack and he was he was superb on the day like he everything went into his feet he was so good at holding the ball up and creating chances for others I think he's just such a good player. And, and I know that his relationship with the Blades fans isn't great. I know that his goal scoring record isn't great. I think if you were to ask Morgan Gibbs-White if he'd like to play up front with either Ollie McBurney or, or, or you know, players of 10 off, either Ollie McBurney or Billy Sharp, I've got a feeling he'd, he'd probably say McBurney. But obviously Sharp offers something completely different and he, and has kind of creatively been better this season. But McBurney's just one of those players who I think makes you into a far more capable attacking side just because he can make it stick and he can run in behind and he's, he's got good vision and you know, good composure. Um, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan. Blades fans have got Fleck in midfield and, and Flack up top uh, by the sound of things. Um, <laughs> Forrest did the business at home to Birmingham, making things look pretty comfortable at the moment. Uh, fixtures like this are, are, are kind of light work, really. 2-0 winners. Uh, thanks to Big Keenan. Probably, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, I'm going to say it. I've waited till April of this season. Normally I go a bit earlier than this. I think with Dan Juma last season, I went in about October. Keenan Davis is my favourite player. He's my favourite player in the league. Um, I love everything about him. I, th- I feel like I'm repeating myself here. Uh, but it's not just the goal that he scored 
uh, early on Saturday, which was just perfect. Just summed up everything about him, receiving the ball, um, carrying the ball, firing hard and low into the corner. Uh, everything that you want from your striker. But in midweek, he produced one of my favourite assists of the season as well, um, with a brilliant piece of, of hold-up and link play. Uh, I'm so excited about it. I'm, I'm sad, really, that he's owned by a Premier League club. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's a, uh, there's a chance Villa won't need him next season and you know would a Premier League club take a punt on loan or or, or to pay what presumably be quite a high fee for him uh, to make him their striker in the Prem I'm, I'm leaning towards maybe not and so maybe he'd be back on loan in the Championship maybe he'd be with Forest if they go up a lot of ifs at the moment uh, regardless Keenan Davis officially my favourite player in the league and I got a big smile on my face as I say it which is a good sign it, the, the weight is off my shoulders is it interesting that if you put my name backwards my surname yeah it's keller keller so your two favorite people who are involved in the efl mm-hmm. are keenan and keller that's nice i was going to do a keenan and cam gag because uh cameron archer also on loan from villa also doesn't scored this well, weekend. Does it? it doesn't work as well no i'm glad you've uh, up orange soda keller loves orange soda <laughs> uh steve cooper just doing a disgracefully good job I feel like that's always worth saying I feel like I'm saying this kind of um, as an aside because uh, I suppose uh, a 2-0 home win against Birmingham is what we expected I don't want to go overboard with the performance necessarily but uh, again it's worth saying in general uh, since Steve Cooper came in there's only two teams in the league who have averaged two points per game or more and it's Fulham FC and it's Nottingham Forest FC uh, they've conceded the fewest goals in the league since he came in uh, very solid at the back of course great defensive shape well drilled just like his Swans team were last season and he also brought in his defensive XG over performance, George, from Swansea last season, which is always handy as well. Um, but fair, fair, fair to say that Horvath and Samba have both been very good in goal, um, shot-stopping sort of above the average shot-stopping level of a goalkeeper per those Opta goals-prevented numbers. And then the, the big defensive stat for me is trying not to focus too much on, on clean sheets, but talking about zeros and ones the other day, you know, the, the idea being that just focusing on clean sheets, you miss out on, on really good defensive teams who... You know, it, we all know that it's very easy to, to play incredibly well, be very well drilled and for the opposition still to score a goal, whether it's from range, whether it's just an excellent piece of play or a bit of bad luck. That happens. Uh, the good teams are the ones that, that, that keep it there, keep it zero or one in the against column. Uh, and in the championship, since Nottingham Forest have been managed by Steve Cooper, no one's done better on that front as well. They've only conceded more than one goal in four of 32 since Chris Hughton left. Uh, the best in that time. So, George. Also, just quick credit to Tobias Figueredo, who was hooked off at halftime back on Boxing Day. Um, didn't see him again for three months and then brought back in because of the injury to, it was McKenna, I think, uh, back at the Cook. beginning of... Cook? Sorry, to Cook, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But initially, wasn't it? Either way. Uh, and he's played their last, what, five games? And he's been absolutely unbelievable in all of them. Like, Forest fans don't really understand what's happened with him. Um, which is which is good to see. So credit to him. So I want to move on to the more interesting part of this discussion. And what I what <laughs> that's I can consi- such a that's such a harsh way to call, talk about my Tobias Figueiredo point. No, that I was I was I was putting everything that I said and everything that you said about this match in a bucket. The 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 second most interesting thing to talk about. The most interesting thing to talk about, I think, is a sense of anticipation. Dare I call it excitement that the battle for the second automatic promotion spot might not be as done as we thought, because there's six points between Bournemouth in second and Nottingham Forest in third at the moment. Now, we've got Luton-Huddersfield tonight, and if there's a winner in that game, 
whoever wins will be third. So they're not out of this at all. But both Bournemouth and Forest have got seven games left, including a game against each other at Bournemouth on the penultimate day of the season. Uh, in the last six games, Forest have got five points more than Bournemouth in that time. But this isn't just a sudden burst uh, where Forest have caught fire and Bournemouth have suddenly hit the wall. It's kind of been the, the status quo since the start of November, kind of slowly but surely. In the last 24 games... Forest have got 13 points more than Bournemouth, so around half a point per game better. That's pretty significant. And I guess what I'm throwing to you here, George, is Forest are, by pretty much any measure at this point, the second best team in the league. And this is the weekend, I think, where you can start talking yourself into a chance for drama when it comes to that second promotion spot. What say you? Are you going to pour petrol or water on it? I'm pouring petrol on it i think yes. well, i think i'm just like maybe just, just blowing on it a bit getting one of those like things where you blow a bit of air yeah nice um <laughs> i mean the significance is of course that these two teams play against each other um the frustration is is that these two teams play against each other in quite a long time um i mean how tasty would it be if we could have a, a bournemouth v um forest game now but as it transpires it is the penultimate game of the season on on may the 3rd and there is a lot of football to happen between now and then. And Forest's fixtures aren't... I mean, they're, they're not, like, aggressively hard, but they've still got to go. You know, their next game is away at Luton. They then host West Brom. Uh, they've got to still travel to, to Fulham before that as well. So it's going to be incredibly difficult for them to maintain this form. What I would say is it does... You know, as you mentioned, Forest's defensive numbers are possibly unsustainable at the moment. You know, they are... Um, overperforming their XG in terms of the the defensive side of things. But they are looking incredibly dangerous going forward. They seem to be the only team I can remember in a long time where you've you've basically got eleven players who are in extraordinarily good form. Um, you know, you look through the team and there's there's basically no weak link at the moment. Even and as as Samba came back into the side who hasn't hasn't had as great a season replacing Horvath who who'd been very good. You know, he's come back in and, and done very well immediately. And that kind of improves the high standards that is going here. You know, you've got Lewis Graben who's come back from injury. Can he come in and replace Keenan Davis? No. Can he come in and replace Zinkenagel as, as a 10? Like maybe, but at the same time, when you've got players who are playing so well, it means that the likes of, of Graben, of of Surridge, uh, of Lolly, of these guys on the bench are, are really going to struggle to get game time. And that, and that is important. For Bournemouth, it, it's the opposite. You look at Bournemouth's side and it feels like no one is playing particularly well in that team at the moment. It feels like a, t- a side who, because they have a much better squad than others, are still picking up points at a reasonable rate. But they they aren't consistently playing well. The, the good performances alongside the three points seem to be the anomaly at the moment, rather than the um, rather than the, the consistent thread that is uh, that is Forest. So, you know, I think it's possibly on. Um, I think the the game. This coming Saturday, or is it Friday? Mate, it's Good these, Friday. These fixtures Between are amazing. And, and this Easter fixtures are amazing for this yeah. discussion. Forest are away at Luton, and at home to West Brom, and Bournemouth are at home to Borough, and then away to Coventry City. It couldn't be better. No, it couldn't. It's um, you know Bournemouth's fixtures are also fairly difficult. They're helped by having two home games to end, including the Forest game as well. But they're playing Blackburn. They're playing Fulham. On final day, they've got Millwall at home, who you think are probably not going to have much to play for, which could be significant. But basically, all Forest can do is try and close. If, if Forest, it's a six-point gap at the moment. If Forest can even make any inroads into that by by May the third, even if if they make it into a five-point gap, meaning that a win there would mean would basically mean that Bournemouth had to win on, on final day, then then it's still on. And um, I would 
you know, obviously you'd rather be in Bournemouth's position, but with Forest having all but secured their their playoff berth, it's just it's a it's a swing to nothing. And they're playing with such confidence at the moment. And they're, you know, the front two of Davis and, and Johnson is gonna just cause absolute carnage for anybody. And I do think that the FA Cup run that they had, where they where they beat Arsenal, you know, fair and square basically, and were unlucky you know they could argue they were the better side against Liverpool in that as well and they we'll just give them Leicester and they and they thumped Leicester we'll just give them unbelievable belief like there, there's no reason for them to be in any way concerned about the quality of the teams that they're facing in this running and that is a is a very very good position to be in clearly with respect to Bournemouth all neutrals including ourselves want excitement at this stage of the season so yes we've poured some petrol or maybe just some some oxygen oxygen but yeah oxygen is good for Bit of oxygen. Let's fire that up. You need oxygen for fire. As mentioned know? on the betting show when we discussed Femi Investigates, science not being a, a big thing for me so mm. far in, in my 29.8 years. Um, what I should say is, objectively, 538, uh, Datary uh, sort of projections website, has Forrest four, 14% likelihood of finishing second uh, with Bournemouth around uh, 80%. And the Betfair odds, looking at the sports book. Five to one for Forrest to finish in the top two. That suggests about a 17% chance. So uh, I've seen a lot of people discussing as if it's a given. We've discussed it as if it could be a given, but but hopefully just just re- just rowing back a little bit on that. Uh, the reality, apparently, objectively, from those who are, who are pretty good at projections, is that it's still unlikely, but it's damn but exciting. Let's, but let's just remember, you know, a five to one chance. It's funny how we perceive it because a five to one chance, if I was to... You know, if I was to give you a, a tip in a horse race and it's a five to one second favourite, you'd go into it thinking you had a fair chance of um, a fair chance of, of winning. And so like a five to one chance, a five to one chance, irrespective of, of the event, the sport or whatever it is. So, yes, it is unlikely to happen, but a five to one chance of 17 percent, 15 percent, 14 percent, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can have massive shifts like I saw earlier, Burroughs, um, according to the 21st Club, um, table that was that was set, tweeted out. Boroughs uh, lost a hole last weekend. Had a seventeen percent swing on their promotion chances. You know these things change unbelievably quickly in, in football. So um, yeah, it's not likely, but seventeen percent, fifteen percent, five to one chance. That is on. That is live. I'm going to do a gag. You ready? Mm-hmm. If George Ellick tips you a horse in a horse race at five to one, what that means is if you put ten pounds on, you lose ten pounds. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> get in. Okay, we're overrunning already, which I love. Um, this always happens when you've been on Quest and I've got a lot to say as well. Uh, so let's try and, and move up the gears. Uh, Middlesbrough nil, Hull one. Middlesbrough looked pretty anemic here, I think it's fair to say. And uh, Keen Lewis Potter scoring the winner. Uh, Joe Lumley, uh, goalkeeper, not covering himself in glory. The Borough fans understandably feeling pretty frustrated that where other teams in in and around them uh, have goalkeepers who might be net positives, shall we say, when it comes to stopping football shots. Uh, Lumley perhaps hasn't been. Uh, and in a, in a season, in a, in a sport with very tight margins, that has impacted them. Having said that, it wasn't all Lumley's fault. It would be wrong to suggest that Borough were, were anywhere near their best here and um, need to perform a lot better, particularly at home, um, because it's, it's crunch time and we expected them to be crunching but but so far they're not at the moment um from a Hull point of view George I, I just wanted to say you know we've always been huge Hull City fans born and bred in fact and and it's been hard to keep things impartial on this podcast over the last six years I'm sure some of you listeners would have picked up on it George and I massive Tigers 
Uh, huge, huge Tigers fans. Keen Lewis Potter is actually my first cousin. And George, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you used to babysit Jacob Greaves. Just No, Callan Elder. That's right. That shows yeah. how serious we are about Hull City. And that's why, George, it's really exciting that our beloved owner, Ajun Illigili, has announced that he'll be inviting 500 Hull City fans on an all-expenses-paid trip to Turkey this summer just to get to know us, uh, just to show us a good time and to show us what he's all about. I think I, I, I think that's a huge touch and, and we're looking Have you to had it. your email yet confirming? Because I haven't had anything. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm sharing a room with Ajun's brother. That's, I mean, that's weird. I know. I'd pretty rather not go. Also a rumour about Mesut Ozil mm. having to choose between Hull City and Inter Miami this summer, apparently. George Honeyman's like... Excuse me. Have you, have you watched me play this season? Don't need him. And last season. Uh, I mean, that would be incredibly fun. I uh, I love I love Messer. He could be the Wes Houlihan of the championship next season. Um, a great win for them. An excellent three points. An excellent away day, you'd think, for uh, our fellow Tigers fans. Uh, what about Millwall 4, Barnsley 1? I mean, I've stuck this in the sort of group of teams going for the playoffs, but arguably more impactful down at the bottom um for Millwall it was three without a win before this and those and that run had sort of made you think that could be it for them uh it's only in inverted commas a win at home against a team in the relegation zone but maybe there's still a pulse maybe there's still a pulse yeah I think this was a scoreline that possibly flattered Millwall uh, not necessarily because of the quality of the goals which were great and I think so many players in their, in their side deserve credit here. Um, you know, Benny Kofobe was superb. Lovely bit of skill for the second um, McNamara goal. Obviously, Danny McNamara, having not scored for Millwall before this game, scoring a brace. Uh, very, very popular player with the Millwall fans, and rightly so. And also great to see um, Ollie Burke uh, in some good form because it's been a long time since we've seen that and he's really starting to, to have an impact now at Millwall, which is good to see. And then, of course, Jed, as ever, being Jed. Um, so Millwall played well, but I, I thought Barnsley were fairly hard done by by losing this game by three goals. Um, they were they were fairly decent as well. They played their part in the game. They had they had played some decent stuff and had enough chances. So it, this isn't a, a slight on Millwall. It's purely just, it feels to me like Barnsley at the moment have found a way of playing fairly well, but, but are really struggling to pick up the points. And... It's not over till it's over, um, but this was a you know especially with what happened at Reading, um, Barnsley really had to get something from this to to try and close the gap, and and they're running out of time now. But for yeah, and, and in terms of Millwall's playoff aspirations, you know having just done a big speech on percentage chances and and on all this stuff, you know it's what percentage chance you give Millwall to win their last five games, um, and that's probably the value of of them getting into the playoffs at this stage, given their four points back. Um, with Middlesbrough having a game in hand above them as well. Um, so it's it's not done. Of course it's not done. And, and, you know, teams go on runs, of course. but And that result and performance will give them belief that they can do it. Um, but some tricky games ahead as well. Well, Blackburn are in seventh. They're two points off the playoffs. Um, they drew it home to Blackpool. I call this fixture fire versus water because if you take the word black out at the start of both of the team names, uh, it's burn versus pool. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, it was pool extinguishing burn after they took an, uh, a lead through Sam Gallagher uh, was it a goalie assist was it a goalie it assist? was yeah lovely touch as well it was yeah Kaminsky assist but poor performance especially in the second half they don't look like a team ready for a late rally from what I've seen but as I say they're only two points off the playoffs um, they haven't got on paper as difficult a fixture list this double header weekend uh, as some so it'd be interesting to speak next Tuesday maybe in more depth about Rovers I, I don't think Personally, they'll be any further away than they are now. Still plenty to play for, although the the narrative, the same sort of narrative that we've been talking about for the last few few months kind of continues. 
Yeah, I mean, giving him another shout out. I don't know what Andy's done to get to in a podcast, but he tweeted a, Andy Watson tweeted a, a before this game, a kind of rolling XG graph of Blackburn this season. And they're, according to expected goals only, they're in the best form of the season over the last 10 games. Now, of course, um, and that's basically weighing up the expected goals for and expected goals against over a five game rolling period. Obviously, that is impacted by game state and the fact that they haven't been ahead for nearly as much time as they have been um, previously in the season. But it backs up the idea that they haven't been playing as poorly. What I would say is that this was the exception. Uh, having gone one ahead, they were very, very poor. Um, they, they were in, incapable of closing out the game or creating more chances. Blackpool were the team who had who had the better chances at one all, and they were fairly fortunate to get away with a point. So um, it might not look like a great result on paper, but actually maybe this was the, the start of the turn where Blackburn start picking up points that they don't deserve. Down at the bottom, uh, the reason why I said Barnsley's defeat was pretty impactful was because everyone lost. Um, Reading lost at home 2-1 to Cardiff. They were ahead here as well. A, 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 well, I was going to say a damaging defeat. It's it's not really because everyone lost and they've got that nice buffer at the moment. Um, but they'll be pretty dismayed, I think, by the way that they threw away that lead. Two very nice goals, you have to say, from Cardiff. Uh, great assist for rules, uh, from rules rather, for the, for the doughty goal. Uh, and then the second goal was brilliant penetrative passing and movement for the second, finished off by uh, Volks. Uh, pleasing, I think, for, for Morrison and for Cardiff to get this away win, uh, albeit against lowly opposition, just because uh, of that heavy defeat last time out against uh, Swansea. That can be put in the rearview mirror. And George, if you told me 18 months ago, here we go. That Perry and G would be starting games at centre back in a back four in the championship. I'd have assumed that he was to have the latest growth spurt a footballer's ever had. But um, Morrison switched up, uh, switched up the formation. He's moved away from back three for the first time for ages. And there's Ng at the heart of it. McGuinness and Flint on the bench. They were there, but it was a, a formation switch, and Ng was the one that stayed behind. Now, my fears about his height in that hypothetical scenario that I just created for effect were justified because Joao dunked on him to head home in the first half. So uh, if NG is to continue in that position, uh, then he's going to need to learn how to get up a bit higher. But um, interesting to see that given you know his position, if you compare his role for that crew side in winning promotion, the right back who basically had the most touches, most passes in the whole league, um, going forward, impacting things, defending strongly out wide, 1v1. It's a very different role to playing centre-back in a 4-2-3-1 in, in uh, two divisions up. So an interesting wrinkle. Um, they're still eight points clear of relegation Reading because uh, of that Barnsley defeat and also because uh, Derby lost 2-1 to Swansea. George, tell me about this game, please. It, it was kind of done pretty early on um, with two beautiful Joel Piru um, goals that take him to 20 for the season. Uh I'm loving him playing in this number ten role. Is there anything um, other than a beautiful Joel Piru goal? No, not really. And that was, it was, it was the great thing about being on Quest with Clinton Morrison is that when you when you make a, a point that he enjoys live on air, he will say to you, "That was an unbelievable point. What a point that is!" <laughs> great uh, team, mate. Quite fun. And so that's what I and as I mentioned on Quest, I, I think that having Piru playing up top on his own um, was was kind of the equivalent of playing with a a false nine by mistake. Um, early in the early in the campaign, where Peru was scoring goals, but mainly from from range, and when you've got a, a lone striker, that's not really what you what you want them to be doing. And there was no surprise that they were basically toothless, apart from Peru's lovely long long ranges. Now that he's able to play in behind over Femi, who runs the line very well, and looks to get in behind, and is a kind of penalty box striker. Um, you have to wonder. Maybe <laughs> I just love. Maybe. I just I know exactly what you meant, but I love using the phrase. He runs the line very well. 
as if he could be a the linesman or a he striker. Does. That's what I meant. He's brilliant in training at doing at doing doing being a liner. Um, he uh, it, it 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 just now works. You know, you've still got the the creative um, and speculative skills of Peru in behind, but you've also got someone leading leading the line who can stretch defenses as well, and and also create the space for the likes of Patterson and Peru and Wolf to to exploit as well. So. Uh, it's working, uh, and they are much better, uh, I think, for it. As I've said a few times, Swansea's style of play since Luke Williams left has definitely changed. You know, they are still possession-heavy, but it is no way near the levels we saw before, and, and I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Um, you know, Game State, again, plays a big part in this. They were tuned up fairly early on, but I, I'm, I'm convinced that whilst Russell Martin is still going to be wedded to the idea of possession of football being the way that he wants to play, I just don't think it's going to be extreme now going forward, uh, personally. But we'll see how that develops in, in the coming weeks. And obviously Derby are a high-pressing side anyway, so maybe that plays into it too. Well, only Mitrovic, Solanke and Weiman have more non-penalty goals this season than Perot. Uh, surely the highest quality goal on average as well in the league. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure to watch him play. And what a week beating Cardiff away, beating Millwall away, beating Derby at home in the space of six days, three wins. Um, it, it's it's huge for them at the moment. There's understandable excitement now. I'm seeing it all over Swan's Twitter for next season, for keeping hold of some of these players, for continuing to develop some of these players because they've seen initial development already for potential to add to this squad and, and to recruit for the style, which we know will, will stick fairly similar. There's a lot of excitement and it's great to see. Like, you know, we've I particularly have been guilty of talking about beaches a lot. Um, you know, with mm. like six weeks still of the season to go. And it's, you know, some teams do go to the end of season beach and within seconds they've got they've got their beer out. They're focusing on relaxing. They're splashing around in the sea. They're Maybe they're playing a bit of that, that really boring, annoying game where you hit a little ball back and forth between yourself with those wooden rackets. Um, but Russell Martin and Swansea, they're using this beach time to improve themselves. They've got the lotion on early. They're staying hydrated and that's crucial. Maybe they're reading a book about the All Blacks or Steve Jobs or, I don't know, someone that's walked up Everest with a blindfold on. Something like that. Those sorts of, you know, be the best version of yourself books. They're memorising patterns of play. They're saying no to crisps. Just a few celery sticks, a few carrot batons. They're staying focused. They're making sure that they are their best self heading into the summer. And that's nice to see. Uh, for Derby George, off the field, big news since we last spoke. Uh, the joint administrators of Derby County accepted an offer from Chris Kirshner to acquire the club out of administration. Kirshner is uh, an American man who uh, initially went in for the club in December. That bid didn't progress and he pulled out. Uh, in the meantime, he made a bid for Preston North End, which fell through. There's a few different stories being pushed about that uh, from both sides. Hard to know what's true and, and it, I guess it doesn't much matter here. Um, it's said that Gary Cook, the former CEO of Manchester City, will come in and help run the football side of things. Um, lots of, of work still to be done, said Wayne Rooney, but on, a, on, a, on an initial level, very, very positive news, and it's nice to be able to say that. Yeah, it is. Um, as you say, still work to be done. This is by no means the, the end of the road, and that there are going to be complications still to come to um, possible point deductions as well potentially depending on um, the repayment of the creditors as well um but certainly this is in what has been a um a story where we have had plenty of wrong turns and false hope um it does feel like this is coming towards a uh, you know a resolution what we have to say and what you're normally very good at saying as well is that 
this isn't necessarily um, some messiah walking into the club who's going to save everything. You know, with all new owners, you have to be fairly sceptical to start with. You have to question their motives and their ambition, uh, not in a negative way, just in a questioning way. You, you can't just say this is going to be um, the best thing for Derby County, uh, especially when, you know, you have to th- probably think that those who descend upon a rotting corpse are maybe more likely to be vultures than, than anything else. But, you know, certainly in terms of the, the short term the and that's not me saying anything about Kirchner himself it's just it's general. just the way of the world yeah. it's general exactly um but in terms of the short term if this development secures the long-term future of Derby County Football Club uh then that is overwhelmingly positive uh, and let's hope the stadium comes with it and let's hope that Kirchner is somebody who comes in and invests sustainably into the playing side of things, doesn't make the same mistakes as other owners make, and is here to rebuild a football club back to its former glories. Made a lot of his money through uh, Bitcoin investments, uh, which is good on him. Just like, just like you. Last time, <laughs> That's not the last time we'll be mentioning cryptocurrency <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, he also did an, a, a couple of Twitter Q&As over the weekend from Augusta, where he was watching the Masters, which uh, made me pretty jealous. Um, very... American style One communication day, so far, I would say, from uh, from Kirchner, uh, and we expect a lot from him. But good news for Derby County fans: Bristol and City, and Bristol and City and Posh all drew one-one three-way Bristol match. Bristol and that City one. and Posh. Yeah, it was a, you know they're just trying new things. Uh, FIFA <laughs> FIFA have said let's try new things. So uh, three-team match, sixty-minute shot clock, all that stuff. Uh, West Brom one, Stoke three. These two teams, both of them really looking forward to the end of the season, I think it's fair to say. Uh, it, during the 90, Stoke were the better side, the winning side. 3-1 winners, um, goals in particular that I enjoyed from Jacob Brown and Lewis Baker streaking away to score uh, two of those players. Really, you'd say Stoke's best performers this season. Even Baker having arrived in January has been uh, magnificent. That was his eighth goal. Brown, uh, their top scorer with 11. I, I suggest both of them will be key men next season, no matter who is in charge, no matter what happens to the squad over the summer. Um, but a good way for Michael O'Neill to spend the weekend after defeat to Reading uh, in midweek. Uh, they got Bristol City and Blackburn this weekend. So, you know, it's it's not beach time really for Stoke, because as you've mentioned a few times, it's important for Michael O'Neill this, uh, at this moment in time. Lastly, in the Championship, George, PNE versus QPR seriously lively one in the acronym derby uh because the scoreline of 2-1 didn't hint at much but when you scratch beneath the surface and look at the expected goals numbers unless there's been an error here i'm looking at 3.46 playing 2.48 wtf (laughs) uh yeah crazy game um and again it's a game between one side who uh have very little to pay for who are probably pretty happy um after getting through what was a, a big derby game in midweek and the shackles were off against the QPR side who defensively are so poor, um, but only know how to do one thing and that's and that's attack. So the fact that it was pretty open uh, shouldn't be massively surprising. Everson made plenty of, of, of very, very good saves for Preston. Um, for QPR, it's, it's pretty difficult to find anything to be positive about. Um, they had to bring in 20-year-old goalkeeper Murphy Mahoney um, in goal because Kieran Westwood was taken ill um, you know, Westwood was brought in because David Marshall and uh, Seni Dieng have both got injury issues. A few things to do to look after your health, George. A few things you can do to look after your health. Drink water, eat vegetables and or fruit. Don't play in golf for Queen's Park Rangers. Yeah. Probiotics. Another one. we got four now. Vitamins. 
Jesus, we're giving out free tips here. That's enough. <laughs> That's enough. Um, I mean, yeah, th- th- there's very little to be positive about at all. Um, you have to say they they switched to a back four here. Um, without I mean, with no Rob, Rob Dickey, um, uh, back to Sanderson and so no Barbe either. Um, but it didn't really work, as we said. Preston created loads. I mean, they they were okay going forward. Um, but you know, it, it, it wasn't a particularly good performance from QPR. And with Warburton's contract running out at the end of the season, it, it feels like quite a weird position where they're probably not going to sack him before the end of the season. But if it carries on like this, he's probably going to be let go. And um, just such a promising. I just I just find it crazy that six weeks ago I was at QPR Borough and what felt like such a massive game, and both sides played fairly well. And now it, it looks pretty likely that both are going to fall out of the top six and, and not even be in the playoffs. Well, Preston fans were not happy after defeats to Luton and to Derby. So the last week or so has been very welcome. Uh, wins against Blackpool and QPR. And to be honest, I think it's pretty classic. Uh, last chunk of the season, mid-table fair. Um, they, they've they had to create their own motivation, really. And sometimes that comes easier than, than other times. Uh, Aidan, who's North End fan on NTT20 squad, said weeks ago, I remember him saying, I, I'm not I'm not looking at a particular league position. I just want us to enjoy the end of the season and it'd be great if we could, you know, basically take some scouts, if we could ruin the end of the season for other teams. That, that and I kind of enjoyed that. And they have bloodied the noses of, of Bournemouth and QPR. They've beaten them in recent weeks, but also they've been bettered and beaten by other teams as well. It's it's all good. None of it matters massively in the grand scheme of things. I'm looking forward to their summer recruitment, North End, because uh, Market Insights have been announced at having been teed up to help with that. Um, they worked with Plymouth Argyle, or they do work with Plymouth Argyle. Uh, obviously, Ryan Lowe was there before, and clearly Lowe was pretty pleased with how Market Insights helped him build a squad there. So um, they've had positive results, Market, um, pretty much every club they've worked with, as far as I know. And I'm looking forward to seeing how North End approach things this summer. Uh, on to League One now. Bom, 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 bom. Is that going to be every week? See how we go. Normally, right. I do this thing, these things for like a couple of weeks, and then I forget. But this, this is meant to be like a, a serious podcast. I think that's one part of last week's pod that could, could live on. Just because you know a lot of pods do transitions between parts, and we don't do that. And I'm obviously I'm not going to do anything like professional and put in a little jingle or anything because that takes time, and uh, and I and I don't want to. But okay, all right, I wasn't having a go. Just chill out. Just trying to improve the production value for free. Uh, in League okay. One, at the top of it, Lincoln one, Wigan three. It's four wins in five for Wigan. Uh, they switched to a back three a month ago. Liam Richardson making that change. It was not like they were in particularly poor form at that time. So I'd be interested to know his reasoning for it. Um, it's worked. They 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 look excellent. It looks to be suiting the personnel um, up front. Uh, sort of quite an interchangeable trio of, of McGinnis leading the line with Lang and Keane. Um, sometimes dropping in, sometimes running in behind, just linking up really well. We saw that here with, with Lang at the double. Um, one assist from McGinnis, one assist from Keane. And then I think it was Lang setting up Keane for, for the other goal as well. So um, an excellent football team uh, in all areas. Naylor and Max Power as the pivot. Um, Naylor, particularly this season, this season, has been as good as a screener as you'd want, really, uh, at this level. Um, uh, Derrick were on the at right wing back. Um James McLean or Joe Bennett on the left and then Watmore Carr and Watts, the centre-backs, um, particularly since Tilt's injury. So it's all working very well. In this game, Callum Lang stood out with two excellent finishes. We know 
um, that at his best, he is a, a freakishly good finisher, always finds the corners with those hard and low shots. Uh, and he got an assist that was either very fluky or, or amazing footwork and vision. Doesn't much matter. Um, excellent finishing is a feature of, of Wigan's success this season. They have the highest conversion rate in League One, 14.5%. Um, that's the same as Fulham. Those two at the top of the EFL when it comes to shots ending up in goals. And Will Keane with a goal and an assist as well. What a season he is having, by the way. He now has the highest goals plus assists per 90 number in the whole of League One. Um, a fantastic, fantastic performance. Just staying fit and healthy for the whole season is was kind of the first objective for Keane, who struggled so much in his career with injuries. Um, the form, the quality, the talent has flowed, and it's been a, a really key part of this league-leading side. I would say Keane and Watmore at the back, and Naylor, who I mentioned, and Max Power to an extent as well. Those guys have been the, the bedrock, really, of, of a promotion team, or at least that's the way it looks. One last Wigan-related stat. Only once this season, in 40 league games, have they gone more than one game without a win in League One. So at one point, they went three without a win. I think it was two draws and a defeat. Three games without a win. The other 11 times they've dropped points, either a draw or a defeat, they have won the next game. That is insane. That sums up their mentality, their intangibles, I dare say, mixed with the quality football team that they've been as well. Uh, 538 now saying a 97% chance of top two, an 86% chance of winning the title. That has changed significantly in the last month, partly because Rotherham have dropped off massively. And that drop-off continued with a home defeat to Charlton on Saturday, George. This promotion picture has changed a lot in the last few weeks. It now looks very rosy for Wigan. Second place is a big question mark. Rotherham have looked really poor, not just in in their you know their league form. I know we don't look too much at the Papa Johns, but their performance in, against Sutton in that final um, was not good either. They've lost three of their last five games. And I guess for them, it probably felt... A few weeks ago, like they could, it didn't really matter. Like you know, they were had to play well in order to win the league, but realistically, they were going to finish top two. And suddenly, they find themselves in a position where they are now playing catch up with MK Dons. They are now in third. Yes, they have two games in hand over MK, but the performances don't make you particularly confident they'll be able to to, to kind of make that ground up on them. I, w- I wouldn't say. Um, They've lost a bit of their defensive solidity. They are not finding it very easy to score goals. They seemed very scary, and now they just don't seem very scary. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, they, they've they've hosted a Charlton side who've had some pretty serious issues this season, both in terms of of injuries, you have to say, but also in terms of their performance levels. And Charlton were, and it was a, it was an excellent strike from George Dobson to win the game, a, a strike deserving to win any game. But there wasn't much between the two sides, really. Rotherham weren't able to bully Charlton like they have to so many others. They also weren't able to keep them at arm's length and they weren't able to create very much either. Michael Smith and Freddie Ladapo are both going through really bad spells of form at the same time, uh, which isn't ideal for Rotherham. Um, they've got a, just a, a huge game uh, in midweek where they tomorrow night they go to Pompey because their fixtures aren't easy. They then host Ipswich, who are still another side you, you know aren't, aren't going to give them much away. And then they've got to host Oxford and go to Sunderland as well. So if I was to say now who do I think are more likely to go up I think I might say MK Dons possibly but it's it's pretty tight well it wasn't like they 
cut loose and won comfortably on Saturday. They didn't win at all. They drew at uh, at Wimbledon. Uh, an amazing goal from Troy Parrott to equalise there. Uh, Wimbledon showing a bit of something since the managerial change, since Mark Bowen came in. Uh, I must admit, and this is very much just on paper, uh, I, I kind of like the look of, of the system. Uh, I was kind of nodding along looking at it uh, on the weekend, three, the three at the back with Woodyard and Marsh in midfield and then with Radonia, Sal and Robinson up top. Zach Robinson's an interesting one uh, because he was on loan at Hampton and Richmond Borough uh, until about, what, three weeks ago. Um, they were suffering, or still are suffering, really from a, a bit of crisis of confidence up top and Robinson's come in getting a, a rave reviews from uh, from the, the fans, which is pretty exciting. Uh, one to watch out for in the next few weeks, for sure, Zach Robinson. Uh, but that one ended 1-1. Uh, a lot of draws from, from playoff chasers, uh, George. Uh, Burton uh, held Plymouth Argyle to a nil-all draw. Argyle thought they'd scored early on with an Edwards header. Couldn't tell whether it was over the line. They seemed pretty convinced. Uh, it was their eighth clean sheet in the last nine, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Wednesday drew at Bolton. At 1-1 with a late equaliser for Bolton after Wednesday had had the chances, um, albeit so did Bodvarshan in the first half put put ahead of wide, which he, he should have done better with. And then Wickham giving away a lead to draw at Gills as well. Um, those are interesting results in the context of Oxford 1, Sunderland 2, uh, which I'd like you to tell me about uh, now. Do I have please? to? Yeah, yeah, you have to. You don't have to spend ages on it, but I'd like to hear about it. <laughs> um Let's go at this two ways, because as an Oxford fan, but giving um, neutral and uh, opinions, you have to be quite careful. So let's start with the Oxford side of things, and, and you know you have to think that this is probably Oxford's season over. Um, and it comes off the back of of three performances against Plymouth Argyle, against Morecambe, and against Sunderland, where there's no question that the man of the match has gone to the goalkeeper of the opposition side, and that as an Oxford fan, it's pretty frustrating. You know, you've got a, a, a big section of of those fans um, pointing the finger at the at the players and saying, well, you know, if we're getting into the positions and we're not putting the chances away, that's that's down to them. I take the view that you're going to have these games in your season and it's, it's fairly unfortunate for Oxford that the three of them have come at once at a pretty crucial time of the season. Uh, and, you know, you can't, take anything away from those keepers for having those games a goalkeeper is a pretty important player in a team so there's no you know you're not having any slight of Sunderland's performance there because Patterson's saves were, were so important um so it's frustrating it's annoying it certainly feels like this Oxford side were, were more than capable of getting into the top six this season and, and being a force in the playoffs especially because I think that talent wise it's a better squad than the last two seasons but it looks like it's not to be, um, and you know. I, I guess unless if if Oxford beat Fleetwood on Friday afternoon and, and results go against them, then maybe we'll be looking at the table again ahead of the MK Dons game on Tuesday. But it feels unlikely um, for Sunderland. I just find it incredible that their their late goals at the moment is just unbelievable. They've got um, some real character, belief. Mm. Um, you know they weren't they weren't great on the day if we're going to be honest and and I think Sunderland fans were, were a bit annoyed how they how they dropped off at, at one all and, and didn't try and take the game uh, to try and take the game on but if you look at their last four wins against Fleetwood at home they won three one the two one goal from Luko nine came off at eighty two minutes so they were level at eighty two minutes the two 0 win over Crew back on the twelfth of March nil nil until the eighty fourth minute. Then the one hill win over, over Gillingham before the Oxford game, Nathan Broadhead scoring in, in, I think, the 95th minute. And then Oxford-Sunderland won all, 89th minute, Elliot Embleton. 
those four goals are the equivalent of what? Eight points. Eight points more than they've been on in the 80th minute. That is incredible, whatever you want to call it, whether it's character, whether it's fortune, whether it's what it, I mean, that they have found a knack of winning games. And I think going into the playoffs, Alex Neal having instilled that winning mentality is worth probably more than than just the improvement of performances, which I, I think a lot of Sunderland fans would argue maybe isn't there. I don't think Sunderland fans think they're playing particularly well at the moment. I don't think they're particularly enamoured with the football being played. But just in terms of finding a way to get over the line, especially because this Sunderland side has had such a soft centre for so long, um, is is important. So all credit to them. Um, they're certainly, they put themselves in the position to try and uh, and get out of this league uh, in, a, in a better sense than they have in the last couple of seasons. So... Um, yeah, and I hope I never see Elliot Embleton play against Oxford again because he, he keeps doing this. I mean, that was a lovely move for the winner, wasn't it? Uh, Ross Stewart does not look confident in front of goal at the moment, but that was brilliant centre-forward play to, to control the ball, suck a defender in and then lay it off for Embleton for the winning goal. And of course, that amazing save from the young keeper Patterson as well, um, just as well for him that, that David Priest uh, is a goalkeeping coach at Sunderland and not uh, <laughs> providing excellent goalkeeping analysis for uh, for podcasts and TV because uh, he's clearly benefited from that. I believe um, Priestley's worked pretty closely with him. So that was uh, an amazing save. And I just noticed as well that Sunderland playing back three with Winchester and, and Sirkin as the outside centre-backs. Winchester, obviously naturally a centre midfielder who's played a lot of right back this season. And Sirkin, a young left back really who... I've seen his defensive capabilities be questioned this season. Um, so it's pretty unusual to see that. It looks pretty nutty on paper, uh, especially with Bart and Doyle, the youngster on loan from City, who started the first, what, 35 games or so. Um, those guys sitting on the bench. So it's, it's it's bold from Neil. Perhaps it speaks to, you know, maybe it's more more of a hint at the players who don't make the team now than those who do uh, in terms of what he wants to do and, and who he thinks might be to blame for certain soft-centeredness, as you described it. But uh, fair play, they got the win here. Um, so those draws for Argyle, Wednesday and Wickham, uh, that win for Sunderland mean that um, outside the top three, MK, um, sorry, Rotherham currently in third place, of course. Then you've got Arlisle. Uh, Arlisle? What the hell? I can't even speak, mate. <laughs> Plymouth, Argyle, fourth on 78. Uh, then you've got three teams on 73. Sheffield Wednesday in fifth, uh, plus 23. Sunderland and Wickham in sixth and seventh on plus 20. Uh, both the exact same amount of goals scores scored and conceded. Sunderland have played a game less than Wickham, as have Sheffield Wednesday. And then you've got Yellows four back from Wickham uh, on 69. So uh, it, we've had a bit of a tightening up, I would suggest, of that playoff race in the last few weeks. Partly because Ipswich have dropped points again. They couldn't afford to. Um, they couldn't afford to for the last few weeks, but they have. They drew with Shrews, uh, Cameron Burgess, an absolute Wally to get sent off. And then Sean Wally, Wallop to half volley. To equalise, I should be a Quest voiceover artist. Uh, that's that at the top of the table. Down at the bottom, George, we have our first confirmed relegation of the EFL season. It's Crew Alex. Uh, it was 23rd hosting 24th and 23rd won comfortably 2-0 here. Um, anything particular about the game? Not a great deal. Um, Doncaster could value for their win, um, showing that even the 23rd best team in League 1 is a fair bit better than League 2. Um Crews relegation confirmed. Um, but in terms of Doncaster, it, it looks pretty like a stay of execution. Um, interestingly, John Bostock was, was pretty good in tense midfield, which is promising for them going forward. Um, but it's hard to have much faith that they're going to have enough to to continue uh, to pick up the points needed to, to get out of this. But they were, you know, in fairness, 
good value and, and happy that my nap landed for the for the betting show. Very good. Um, you made your concerns clear about Crew and next season in particular. Last week, a lot of agreement from Crew fans uh, on social over the week. I'm just going to do a little bit on Crew, uh, if you don't mind, just to mark this relegation. Um, lot lot to think about here. Really, Dave Artell is is still the manager, and therefore it feels like. The, the club are making a pretty strong stance to back him uh, and to give him the chance to, to well, to turn things around, to rebuild, whatever the word is, to, to get over this horrific season uh, and go again in, in League Two. Um, focusing on other things aside from Artel at the moment, it, it is quite basic analysis, but I think it's probably the most important thing about Crew Alex and what's happened. Uh, last season's top four appearance makers for them were Harry Pickering, Ryan Wintle, Charlie Kirk and Owen Dale. Uh, Perry and G had left in January. Those five were the core of, of the team that were promoted and finished in the top half of League One in their first uh, at the first time of asking last season. We now know, probably can't say it definitively with Kirk yet, maybe not with Dale either. He's, he's, he's had bits and bobs with Blackpool. But at least three of those players are top half championship players, most likely, Pickering, Winterland and G. Um, maybe that's I'll just say championship players and they were playing for crew in league two and they knew they'd known each other their whole lives they'd played football together their whole lives they were amazing essentially they left and it's not hard to imagine how that could rip the heart out of a team but their recruitment you have to say was about as impactless as it gets and has been really for three years you lose half of your best outfielders in the space of six months and of the signings they made last summer only Chris Long, the striker, has played more than 50% of league minutes this season. Two players that they signed retired without playing a single minute uh, in Huben and McDonald. Uh, of course, that's not necessarily any... Uh, there's no fault necessarily with Crew there, but it was a bit of a weird one. Three or four of them that they signed in the summer were gone by the end of January. And the four or five January signings haven't really been able to make an impact. You know, it was pretty much done by that point, so it's hard to get too wound up about that. But I know the fans think they could have done a lot more as well. They've played 42 league games, crew, and only Luke Offord, the young centre-back, has started more than 28. So only one player has started more than two-thirds of their league games. No consistency of personnel uh, whatsoever. So where do all those minutes that they lost go? They've used 38 players, second only to Scunthorpe in the EFL. And if I'm to cling to a positive, it's that a lot of those lost minutes went to young, club-owned academy graduate players, guys that realistically, given what we know about their business model, given what Dave Artell explained on the Railway Man uh, podcast, which I would uh, advise you guys to listen to from about a month ago, is that they're going to have to build from within again. Um, and therefore, the minutes that Offord has played, Zach Williams, O'Riordan and Sass Davis, the centre-backs, Adebisi and Johnson, the wing-backs, and in midfield, Regan Griffiths, Josh Lundstrom, even slightly older guys like Ainley and Lowry and Finley. They've all got a lot of minutes this season. And it's difficult to say if any of them are good players when they play for such a bad team. It's hard to say that they can re replace Pickering, Wintle, Kirkdale and G. But they pretty much have to. Um, we know that a few of them can be part of a good League One side, particularly Lowry and Finney and Ainley to a lesser extent, because they were in a team that finished 12th last season. So it's just when a team is this dysfunctional it's kind of difficult to evaluate evaluate those players um, but i'm kind of clinging on to the fact that they'll be they'll be better having had the minutes that they've had particularly those really young ones to to help them acclimatize to senior football the big questions are who will the manager be and it looks like dave artel and i know that there's a supporters group that are signing a petition to 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 vote him uh, a vote of no confidence so maybe there's more to come on that front seems 
I mean, I, I'm not one to want to tell um, fans how to feel about their manager, but it does just seem like on the list of things going wrong, wrong at Crewe at the moment, Artel doesn't feel to me to be a key problem. Well, from a from my very dispassionate point of view, I, I am I'm quite happy for him to be allowed the chance to turn things around, for everyone to mm. take a deep breath, to have a week or two off when the when the final whistle of that final game finally uh, is is sounded, and to come back with a clean slate, um, yeah. someone that that knows the way the club operates better than anyone, and it is seemingly to listen to him talk about it a pretty specific model, uh, and it's going to take a, a manager who has a fairly different mindset I would suggest to most managers and he knows how to build a good League 2 side but the big question for me is not about Artel it's about recruitment how good or bad will this summer window be it has to be good they have made I reckon three good signings or decent signings it's an even lower bar than that three decent signings Mm. in three years and that's Mandron and that's Chris Long and that's Luke Murphy not amazing signings either just decent signings and you need you need probably at least three in every summer window in order to keep moving forward. They relied on that group of players, a sensational core of young academy graduates. We know that for the most part, they will continue to rely on homegrown talent. And I like that. But you can still recruit players. You can still buy players. for the, Your whole team doesn't have to be those players. In fact, they need players in other areas. They need more specifically strikers. They need a bit of extra in basically every area. But it has to be better. It has to be so much better. And I hope it is, because otherwise I can only echo uh, your concerns about them possibly fighting against relegation in League 2 next season. Um, Elsewhere in the relegation battle in League 1, George, well, we spoke about Wimbledon's draw earlier. Uh, That basically made up a point for them because the two teams... Uh, above uh, them and Jills both drew, I should say. So they both gained a point uh, because Morecambe and Fleetwood, who are the right side of the dotted line at the moment, both lost Morecambe uh, away at Cambridge and Fleetwood, well, they lost to Accrington Stanley. George, to pick which games to talk about first, you have to choose between talking about an amazing goal or potentially the funniest red card of the season. I'll talk about the goal. I'll talk about Cole Stockton's goal. Um, you know, firstly, when, it, when you're talking about a goal scored for a team who lost um you can't forget the winning team and you know credit for Cambridge for winning again their home form is so good and you know the biggest compliment we can pay Mark Bonner and Mike Duff is just how normal it is that this team who got promoted last season a team that we had bottom in our 1-24 to predictions at the beginning of the campaign um are just so comfortable in the table uh it really is a an amazing achievement from them and and um and another really good performance and I guess we saw this as being the tussle between the two least fancied sides in the uh, the beginning of the season. The two who are going to struggle maybe the most in terms of the bookie prices for relegation and um, and Cambridge are well shot of it. But Carl Stockton did it again. You know, we we did a, a call of the season um, segment on on Quest on Saturday. Uh, his goal against Oxford, which I think would be most strikers' best goal of the of their campaign, um, and it's quite comfortably the fourth best in his. Um, <laughs> an unbelievable strike. Uh, this one was Fleetwood. Ro- and it was Rooney, right? It was Rooney yeah. against Newcastle. There you go. Yeah, it was it was incredible. It's such an unbelievable hit. Can someone I mean, put those two goals side by side, please, and tweet them to the Not the Top Twenty account at NTT Twenty Pod. Anyone got 10 minutes and knows how to use video editing software? Rooney's volley, Stockton's volley, pop them together. Let's see how they yeah. do. Um, amazing, Ma- amazing hit. And for him to, all four goals are so different, which is what I love so much. Uh, I just, there can't be many 
EFL players who scored such a variety of good goals. And remember, we're not even talking about the ones last season as well, where there were, there were a couple of, of absolute crackers. He's he's some player. Hey, it's also a genuinely exciting golden boot race in League One. And Stockton joint top with Ross Stewart at the moment on 22. On 21, Alfie May and Will Keane. On 20, Matty Taylor. So two goals separating five strikers at the moment. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that one ends up. As you say, Morecambe not picking up the win. Um, a damaging defeat, you'd say, after after two good wins. Uh, just to say we're, we're sending all of our love to, to one of the great NTT20 squad members, Morecambe Tom, uh, the artist formerly known as Tom from Peru. Uh, very difficult time for him uh, and for his family. We just wanted to uh, publicly show our love and support for you, Tom, uh, and, and wish you and the family all the best at this tough time. Um, as for Fleetwood... Well, they went ahead in this game and it's against an Accrington side that, you know, we've been trying to get against recently on the betting show because we consider them to be pretty beachy. Uh, in the end, Accrington came back two goals from set pieces, which is what they do so well. The second one in injury time, Michael Nottingham's winner was headed past not a real goalkeeper, George. Why was that? <laughs> Alex Cairns just decided to come out and um, he realised his mistake in scampering out of the box against Accrington uh, and rather than making the Accrington striker actually score he decided he was going to take the bullet and and punch the ball away at 10 yards out of his box and got a red card um, why Callum Camps was the desired um, goalkeeper given his uh, his height I'm not entirely sure um, and the goal that came in injury apparently he made a save I didn't see it um, but the, the goal that came inevitably in injury time um, very, very late on for Michael Nottingham was the kind of header where you think that if there was a, a, a normal six foot one goalkeeper in goal, it's probably going to be caught. Oh, I think that's hard. Saved. <laughs> no. He heads it from like four yards. Yeah, but then it's like there. Yeah. George is putting his hands up in the air. And it's also, and how close is it? To, I mean, I think a goalkeeper either claims it or, you know. I, that's a fair point. It's... I mean, I'm not having. I'm sure Callum Camps is sitting there being like, "How dare you have a go at my goalkeeping?" Um, but uh, I remember it's like I once played in a charity cricket match and I pulled Matt Pryor, the England wicketkeeper, for four, and he got so angry. I was like, "You're wicketkeeper, mate! Like, why are you taking such?" And then, yeah, and then he bounced me, even though off, off a short run up, I was wearing a helmet. We've got very similar stories here because I once hit former England Test cricketer Nick Compton for two sixes in an over, and as a bit like Pryor. He's, he wasn't a bowler. So why was he getting so wound up about it? Why was he looking so angry? Don't know. How did he take it? Not well. Not well. It was hilarious. He hated it. He had scored a flawless turn about two hours earlier. So, you know, he still had the last laugh, but it felt pretty cool. Um, there you go. Um, High-level sports people are competitive. In other news, uh, the, 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 the results down at the bottom mean, guys, that Jill's are level on points with Morecambe and Fleetwood but have a worse goal difference, obviously, and that's why they're beneath the dotted line. Fleetwood have played a game less than all of these teams at this moment, so they're still in a good position. They've got the best goal difference by a significant margin as well. Wimbledon's draw means that they are three points behind Jills and Morecambe and Fleetwood. Uh, their goal difference is the second best of that group of four as well. So, um, yeah, that, this story is still to be written, and uh, as with, well, as always, Easter weekend will have a huge say in that. Uh, elsewhere, Cheltenham beat Portsmouth 1-0. Liam Serkin with the winner. Uh, and the thing that stood out to me was that Alfie May is understandably getting a lot of love recently. But Keon Atete always stands out to me uh, when I watch highlights of, of Cheltenham. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
He hasn't scored a ton of goals this season across spells at Northampton and Cheltenham. It's five goals. I think he started 22 games across those spells. But I really like what I've seen from him uh, outside of the, the, the goal arena. A uh, real handful, clearly got good size, uses his body well for his age. Um, yeah, excited to see what Spurs decide to do with him next. You know, the obvious next step would be a championship loan. Is that a little too early? Potentially, maybe a top League One club. Um, there'll be plenty going for him, that's for sure. Uh, one to watch over the summer. Uh, now, how about League Two? Bom, 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 ba-da-dum. Bum, 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 ba-dum. In League Two, a Forest Green, the league leaders... Uh, drew one all at home to Hartlepool. They're a bit like, George, Scotty Scheffler on the 18th green at Augusta on Sunday. Just missing a lot of short putts, <laughs> but probably still going to get the job done. Uh, they dominated the game. They're pretty wasteful. Uh, and it was a nice goal from, from Hartlepool from their only shot on target from Bogle. Uh, looked pretty poor, you'd say, from a, a Forest Green perspective. Um, not the smartest defending when you won the lap. Uh, and so I'd rather just make a quick point about Hartlepool, who I have been very pleasantly surprised about recently. They've only lost four of their last 17 in League Two, and they look like a really together group under Graham Lee. Uh, the numbers underlying don't really back up what has been top half level results, but they've got a core of players in, in Killip and Byrne, Featherston and Ferguson, Jamie Sterry and Molyneux, of course, who are probably the stars down the right-hand side. Uh, the the centre-back, Timmy Odessina, they love as well. Really want to get him signed up to a new contract. Tom Crawford, young midfielder who got the assist, he did get a new contract this week. So um, interesting summer for, for Pools. But I think given what happened to them with Challenger leaving um, early on in the season, I, I really am pretty impressed with how they've coped with that. Uh, and as for Forrest Green, you know, I say they might get the job done. They, they probably will still. But whether they'll win the title or not, I think is, still, is, is a question mark here. Uh, last two months, three wins, five draws, three defeats. 14 points from 11. And those wins have been scrappy. In that time, Exeter have picked up 13 more points from one more game. Bristol Rovers have picked up 16 more points from three more games. Vale, 15 more points from three more games. Salford, 10 more points from three more games. They're not playing like the best team in the league at the moment. Um, be interesting to see if they end up winning it. Let's see. Um, how about Exeter, George? Um, it's a long old trip to Carlisle. Injury time win is always going to be quite handy. Yeah, they battered them basically um this was one when i was looking through the kind of the stats and all the games during during the match um it was exeter's superiority over um over carlisle that really stood out um i think i looked at the odds of exeter winning in like the 70th minute and they were still like even money which just goes to show uh, how they were knocking on the door um and the goal came very late and it's and it was a big goal you know this is significant not just because um it's it's another three points towards promotion which looks to me like it's pretty much wrapped up now um, but also, as you say, the, the title race is on, and I've got no doubt that uh, Exeter fans are pretty, or Exeter players, and, and Matt Taylor will be very, very intent on, on getting there. Um, They're as, absolutely you know, purring at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, they look so good. Very, very well. Um, I know a lot of Exeter fans are very excited about um, Sam Stubbs, who came in, uh, who's come into the side uh, fairly recently, having joined from Fleetwood. Um, I don't think much was necessarily expected of him, but they are convinced they've unearthed an absolute gem in him. Um, and, you know, his arrival, son of Alan Stubbs, his arrival in the team seems to have coincided with um, a much better run of form that's taken them towards the top top end of the table. So, yeah, they, they look, for, yeah, for us, Forest Greenbackers, it's um, squeaky bum time um, from before the season. But Exeter do look like they are going to push Forest Green all the way. And, and there's no doubt in my mind right now who the better team is between those two. Um, with Forest Green also having Matty Stevens out at least to the end of the season, having um, done his ACL. 
and uh, Jamil Matt taken off after 15 minutes against Hartlepool with a head injury. So they'll be hoping that he um, is able to, to come back and try and lead them to the title, as am I. <laughs> Currently 1.06 with the Betfair Sportsbook for a top three finish. That's a 94% probability uh, per the Sportsbook and 13-2 to two for the title as well. Um, pretty impressive. Carlisle, you know, they'd won six or nine, hadn't they, before this, including two injury time winners and one injury time equaliser last weekend. So they were on the other end here. Um, some poor marking, you have to say, for, for that set-piece goal. And Dieng got the first contact on the corner, which was eventually turned in by Amand. I did a big bit on, on Tim Dieng, didn't I, two months ago, uh, about how you have to show a bit of a bit of vision, a bit of trust, a bit of confidence signing a player who's been a part of a team in Southend who had suffered back-to-back relegations and bring him in. Um, sensational continues to be sensational ever since I said that even better uh, just a huge goal threat from centre midfield Dieng which I'm not sure many people would have thought about him him and Garrity the, the two centre midfielders who have the most goals in the league both on 11 uh, but Dieng better goals per 90 better xg per 90 numbers uh, it's mostly an aerial threat and kind of arriving late into the box um, and, and feasting on crosses from out out wide feasting on scraps in the area um, but he's not just that. He's he's a physical midfielder. He runs all day, wins his duels, absolute leader, known to be a great personality, uh, plus that huge goal threat. You know, he's not a cultured passer. He's not creating chances, but Exeter didn't need that. They've got technicians. They needed exactly what he brings. And if I had to pick, and maybe I will do this on a future pod, if I had to pick 10 signings of the season across the EFL, all 72 teams, clubs worth of signings, I think Tim Dieng would be in there. Um, sensational Port Vale march on four wins in a row for them George seven in their last eight wasn't straightforward against Oldham a 3-2 win it wasn't without its controversy either yeah big controversy Oldham fans not happy at all with the with the referee um, decisions being made and at this very crucial stage it's obviously going to be um, even heightened that uh, that ire but um, Port Vale were we're good, I thought. Um, Jamie Proctor scored a couple of goals. He's hit the kind of form we saw early on in the season. Lovely feet for the first goal. Lovely feet. Um, you have to say as well. Um, and they were able to kind of... Um, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't plain sailing, and I think all credit to Oldham for making it difficult for them. Uh, and they certainly feel aggrieved at not getting anything from a game where they'll feel like they were both probably did enough on the pitch and, and robbed by the referee as well. Yeah, the, the, the controversy surrounded two incidents. One, Aidan Stone, the Port Vale keeper, just catching a ball just outside the box. So weird. With someone closing him down, clearly purposefully uh, sort of played the innocent card and the ref just booked him. I, I must I admit, and I should come prepared for this podcast, I, d- I don't fully know the rules with well, that. I think, I think... It wasn't, it wasn't quite as egregious I, as Cairns, I but think it's basically the same thing. Right? I think the decision the referee has made here is that it wasn't deliberate. So I think this is just a, a handball rather than like he's basically got it wrong where he is. If, you know, if, if it's cynical like cynicism comes into it. If it's cynical in terms of what Cairns did, where he's deliberately punched the ball outside the area. So if you're saying he has denied a goal opportunity by deliberately catching the ball outside the box, which to me, it looked like he did, then it should be a red. I think the referee's given him the benefit of the doubt by saying, you've misjudged this. It's only a yellow. Well, Garrity, Vale's midfielder, put in a an exceptionally strong challenge, which on a personal level, I would continue uh, consider to have been dangerous play. Uh, and the referee, I don't think he even booked him for it. Um, I thought that should have been a red card as well. So Oldham uh, aggrieved fairly in my eyes. Uh, another good example, though, in my eyes of them playing pretty well uh, and not really getting their reward. And, and clearly that's frustrating. But it does mean that I continue to be fairly bullish about their chances of, of being the right side of the dotted line when the music stops. I think if they maintain the level 
that they're playing at and have been for a few months for the next, well, they've got five games left. They could pick up two wins, which might be all they need. Now, the problem is Oldham's next four games are against teams in fifth, first, eighth and ninth. So they don't have it easy. Um, but I do think they're playing okay, better than some others down there who we'll get on to in a second. Swindon nil, Newport one. George, huge smash and grab for Newport, but they will not care one bit. Yeah, Swindon were on top here. Um, this is the Swindon who's just <laughs> seemed to basically be on top in, in most games um, and often lose with them, even though they have been on top. Uh, they have more of the ball. They um, had the better chances. It should be said that Jojo Wallacott did make a very good save just before he had just an absolute clangor, um, a ball over the top. And watching it back, he should have come early. He's obviously hesitated. And then he's just made the mind-boggling decision to to kind of run out once the ball, once it's clear that he's not going to get there. Um, he's, you know, the ball's taken past him, put in the box, and Conroy's left with little to do but put the ball in the back of the net, knowing if he doesn't do that, there's the, the Newport striker in behind to, to tap it home. Massive frustration for Swindon. Um, it feels like they're the architects of their own downfall at the moment, and um, they're, they're now looking pretty likely to miss out on the playoffs um, when performances and personnel, I'd argue as well, um, they, they should be in the top seven. You can understand why, after this game, an emotional set of Swindon fans were the latest set of fans to, to sort of sigh and, and tweet things like, well, that's it, season over. Uh, and you can understand that, but I'm here to say it's not. You don't need to say that. Uh, Richard, who's excellent Swindon Town fan on NTT20 squad, he points out that finishing and uh, has been poor, defensive mistakes have hurt them. The, the last three games, XG4, 4.81, they've only scored one. XG against, 2.71, they've conceded four. My counterpoint, just playing devil's advocate, that's that's good. I'd rather that than you dropping points playing miserably. Uh, I honestly think we could be speaking again next Tuesday after the Easter weekend. I think Swindon might pick up six points this weekend. And who knows the table? Who knows what it'll look like then? Uh, it doesn't mean mm. I definitely think they're making the top seven. My point is the story's not over. Don't write it off. It saddens me. This isn't just Swindon fans. It saddens me how often you see fans moping about the season being finished when it objectively isn't. Correct. It's basically me giving Swindon fans a hug and saying, look, not ideal, but it's okay. Still, you know, still fight for this. Salford are fighting hard and doing well. Shook off that defeat to Port Vale last time out, got back on track. Um, 2-0 home win against Harrogate. They're looming just outside the playoffs at the moment. BMS at the double, George. Big Matt Smith. Yeah, he's class, isn't he? Um, we did a, a graphic on, on Quest showing that Without Matt Smith, their points per game is about 1.3. With him, it's over 1.9. He's basically been a key, and that is not a coincidence. He's completely revolutionised them as a football as a football team, scoring goals, creating goals, making the ball stick. He is way too good for League Two. And, um, you know, the second goal of his wasn't the kind of finish you'd associate with him, a bit of an acrobatic uh, effort into the far corner. Um, but yeah, Salford are, are the ones to really watch out for. It feels like, it feels to me like they're, they could easily be a League One side next season. We've barely even spoken about them at all this campaign. Underlying numbers-wise, they're looking sort of top three level uh, at the mm. moment. Um, and that's not just in the last week or two. That's over over a decent chunk of time. And Northampton drew nil-nil with Bradford. Um, Cobbler's the best side overall, really, on balance, but couldn't finish their chances. And then had to rely on a cracking save from Liam Roberts uh, to protect a point. Bradford with a big chance at the end. Roberts with a sensational save. Tranmere also drew, uh, this time with Bristol Rovers. Three key moments here, as far as I could tell. Hemmings smashing Tranmere ahead. Classic Hemmings fashion. Uh, Well-timed running behind. 
goalkeeper assist, not the first of the weekend. Great to see it. Uh, then at 1-0, a huge save from Belshaw of Bristol Rovers to keep it at 1-0 rather than 2-0. And then Elliot Anderson with the equaliser. You went big on Matt Smith on Quest, George. And I think Elliot Anderson's probably the best player in the league right now. That was I went big on him as well, thanks. Do, do you not watch yeah, that? Yeah, but it, it, felt like, it felt like you realised you couldn't go... You know, I was basically waiting for you to say he's the best player in the league right now because he is. <laughs> but you'd already said that basically about BNS. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm saying it. Um, okay. Just just pure quality as as he showed with that goal. Um, good point for Bristol Rovers, really. Uh, I think drawing away at a team in the top 10 is all you can really expect or ask for at the moment. And Lord knows they've been winning most of their other fixtures as well. Scunthorpe nil, Mansfield 4, George. Scunthorpe United. Mm. Really, a, a football team in name only at the moment. I would suggest. <laughs> Gosh, that's harsh. Uh, yeah, they were they were very poor. Um, this was the perfect game for Mansfield to come into after the the galling one nil defeat away at Forest Green, where um, a win would have would have really set the cat amongst the pigeons, to use a, a classic pod phrase. Um, but yeah, Scunthorpe barely showed up. I mean, actually, Scunthorpe had a couple of chances very early on at nil-nil to, to go ahead. And I was like, oh, are we going to see a bit of life here? But but absolutely not. I honestly fan, feel like that's happened in the last like 30 games. Fan, fan protests, um, unsurprisingly as well, uh, against the current ownership uh, or against, against the departing Peter Swan, who is not a popular man at Scunthorpe at all. Uh, meant the game was, was suspended briefly. Um, tennis balls on the pitch. Uh, fans on the pitch and, and all sorts of other things. It was, it was the whole thing was just a, basically a mess, um, and it's hard to have much positive to say about them next season. Hopefully, um, we'll talk about Scunthorpe again uh, in coming seasons when things work themselves out. But it doesn't strike me as the kind of club, especially when you think about how competitive the National League is. Has there ever been a worse time to get re- relegated to the National League, um, especially as a club in Scunthorpe's predicament? I think they're. You know, their, their stay in, in well their their exile could be a fairly long one unless things really turn around there because even reading Swan's statement which I know um, Scunthorpe fans don't think is worth the paper it's written on um, it seems like there's just no potential to be profitable for them they just do not make enough money uh, in any sense and they don't have anyone who's willing to put money in so it's pretty desperate stuff for them Um for, for Mansfield, you know, that's another big win. They are, I'm sure, going to be that side who just keep winning. And if, if Port Vale um, do, you know, it's, it looks to me to be a tussle between those two, really, in, in terms of who's going to get that third spot. Um, and both 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 in good, good shape as it is. But it feels significant for them that they were able to, to go and play the worst team in, in the Football League immediately after um, playing supposedly the best team in their, in their division and losing. Just a sensational league at the moment as it continues to be. I think we've got 11 teams separated by 10 points. That's from Vale in third down to Swindon in 11th. Uh, the Easter weekend fixtures are sumptuous and I can't wait to talk about them on Quest on Friday and on Monday. Uh, if there's one thing you know about me, George, is that I like to work on religious holiday weekends. <laughs> give me a Boxing Day. Give yeah. me a Good Friday. Give me an Easter Monday. That's where I thrive. That's where I do my best work. I can't wait. Uh, Sutton beat Orient 1-0. They're still in the conversation in 10th place. They're two points off it. They've got a game in hand over the five teams above them. Uh, and they won here, thanks, as far as I could tell, to some excellent deliveries from set-piece situations from their left-back, Rob Milsom. Uh, one of them was headed in by Joe Kizzy. What a season he's having, by the way. His, his first season in the EFL. He's 28. Uh, came from Bromley last season and has adapted seriously well, um, like so many others in this Sutton squad. And maybe, maybe they can put that disappointment of the cup final behind them 
they got six games to play and we know that they can hurt teams. They are still in it. Can't wait to see what happens with this. Colu, Stevenage down at the bottom. 2-0 win for Stevenage Evans, George. They meant business. They needed this. They're not ready to give up just yet. Absolutely not, no. I mean, I think we all knew this This result was going to come. I was a bit annoyed that you said on Quest, like, I think this result was expected. They were like, they were over 2-1 to one to win the game. So my betting I, show pick was a good pick. I didn't want to hear I, you say this was I an expected result. I backed them. I expected it. I, I took it as a shot. I took it as you belittling my good betting show pick yeah two right that's what it was on live tv what percentage chance two to one 33 percent yeah um come on uh well I, th- I think what i meant was under steve evans we knew that results were going to come it wasn't going to continue being poor Should have said not that. necessarily not necessarily them well mate live tv don't get second chances do you um it's um yeah no it's um a big result for them and Colchester looked the more likely at nil-nil um, from what I saw. But Stevenage being fairly attritional, fairly good at preventing uh, too much in the, in the other way. Uh, and, and, you know, they were unfortunate to, to lose to Oldham in that in that massive game where they lost 1-0 uh, to, Steve, to John Sheridan's side. And, and it feels to me, probably now, the most likely team to go down is Barrow, mm. I think, um, I because they are that. just... Betfair Sportsbook okay. don't agree. Currently, Oldham 1.67, Barrow 2.88, Stevenage 3.75. So you can see how valuable that Stevenage win was. Um, I certainly think Barrow are the most likely to go uh, down right now. They lost to Crawley. I'm going to get to that in a second. I just want to say on a Stevenage point of view, one to look out for in their next fixture, Luke Norris with a really stupid, unnecessary second yellow sent off. He's their target man for the direct passing style that they're playing in possession. Um, I'm not sure Jamie Reed or Elliot List can offer the physicality that he can in those aerial duels. Now, he's not by any stretch the best target man in the league, but he's got a bit of presence about him. So their next game against Rochdale, Evans might need to tweak the game plan a little bit because just going long to, to Reed and List might not get much out of that Rochdale back line. You know, you've got to be quite precise. They can scamper in behind. Those are, those are good mobile forwards who can run the channels. But uh, yeah, they're going to have to be, they might have to rethink that. Not an ideal red card for Norris, but they've got Rochdale at home and then they've got Scunthorpe away, Stevenage. So a big weekend ahead for them. Crawley beat Barrow 1-0. My hot take on Crawley on the pitch is that I think, and don't get me wrong, they are 12th in the table. If this is where they finish, it will be a very very good season, albeit they haven't quite uh, challenged the playoffs. I think they'd have five more points if Kwesi Apai had been fit and available for more games. He's been excellent. He scored the winner here. 0.7 goals and assists per 90. Uh, that's the fifth best in the league uh, of all players in League 2. So he's been brilliant. And it was a good start for the new owners, George, of Crawley Town. Wag me United. We're all going to make it, United. I uh, Well... They are, what are they? What are they, George? A consortium um, who came onto our radars when they announced they were hopeful of buying a football club who transpired to be Bradford. Bradford's owners then came out pretty quickly and said there was no truth in it at all, to which they refuted but said, best wishes, up the Bantams. I wonder if that if that, um, <laughs> if that kind of feeling will, will uh, remain next season when Crawley play Bradford. Um, they have made, I mean, I, I think the important thing to say here is that there's no point you and I 
pretending to be experts in things that we aren't. We we know a fair bit about the EFL and about what's going on in the football pitch for these clubs. I am by no means, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm a dunce when it comes to cryptocurrency. I'm a dunce when it comes to NFTs. Um, and I and I haven't um, spent as much time as I should have done reading the Q and A's between um, the prospective, well, the new Crawley owners and the. Uh, I haven't been on their Discord page to read their um, their Mission plans statement. or whatever. Um, they bought the the club in Stirling. I think is 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 fairly significant. They went all the way up to Scotland to buy the club. Yeah, correct. Yes, um, which suggests they have some understanding of of kind of traditional currencies rather than being solely uh, <laughs> focused on crypto stuff i mean they've said that they're basically going to use nfts to um to fund the club going forward now i am massively skeptical of nfts because as far as i can tell it is complete exploitation like crypto is one thing but nfts where you are effectively creating um a you're creating a product out of nothing which has to be traded in a cryptocurrency which will increase the value of that you know the trading value of that currency it, it's 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 all a bit of a mess to me and it doesn't seem like something that is it, it's 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 fundamentally in my view exploitative now i know that there are going to be people out there who have invested a lot of money into crypto who have probably bought some nfts who will completely disagree with what i'm saying and and i completely get that and i'm totally here to be educated but in terms of being a, a neutral looking in from the outside here there are so many, you know, we have to be skeptical of all new owners in the FL football clubs anyway, and their ambitions and their motives. But when it comes down to uh, a consortium seemingly buying a football club in, in, in what seems just to be an experiment on something that is unregulated and fundamentally not secure. And the only thing that is at risk here is Crawley Town Football Club and the fans and their future of their football club. Because realistically, if um, the owners come in and they make a mess of it and they do their money. I'm not fussed at all. If the phone, if the fans themselves are the ones who have to pay the price for this experiment going wrong, then I am fussed. So I sent via direct message at the time of the the Bradford um, the Bradford uh, rumours. I DM'd him and asked him for an interview, and he didn't reply. Um, but Preston, if you know, we'd love to have you on, and you can. Because I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm open to this. I'm, I'm very concerned, but I'm open to it. I uh, would, would love to have you on and, and ask you a few questions about it. There's some mad quotes flying around. Uh, Eben Smith, who's one of the co-founders, um, he said, "If we're trying to build a community club, and we are, then we have to build in mechanisms to hold ourselves accountable." Fair enough. So, if Crawley Town Football Club doesn't get promoted to League One by the end of our second season, I guess that's not next season, but the one after. Uh, which we think is about 50-50. George, you know more about probability and odds than I do. We'll come back to that. Uh, then we underperformed. And if we underperform, Crawley Town fans should get to vote on who the next director of the club are. We might run for re-election because it was clearly all Preston's fault, but we don't get to hold the fan base hostage because our dad invented cable vision. Uh, I've, I've lost my way there with that last bit. I honestly, I don't even know what, if that's a reference or a joke or anything. Anyway. Must be. There's also uh, John Yems, who said, when you talk about crypto, I thought, to be honest with you, that was the stuff that kills Superman, which was a pleasingly good quote from, from Yemzy, uh, just what we wanted. Uh, it's amazing of all the managers who are going to have to deal with this stuff, it's him. Yeah, and, and probably the most on-brand thing I've ever heard a manager say was when he said, which manager in the league knows where their owner's money comes from? You know, when you think about it. Like, yeah, what price company. do you reckon John Yems has bought some crypto now? I could definitely see him getting talked into it. Yeah, I reckon he has. 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, there was also a bit in an athletic article uh, on this topic from Joey Durso, who does brilliant uh, investigative reporting on this sort of thing, uh, where it says, they say the wage bill at Crawley is 1.3 million. Commissioning data from the agency StatsBomb, they determined that if they increase that to 3.3 million, they have a majority chance of promotion. Such a wage bill would put them near the averages of the mid-sized teams a division higher in League One, with the pair expressing their view that investing more and therefore signing better players would stand a good chance of firing Crawley to promotion. Yes, yes, having a higher wage bill, paying players more, and therefore attracting better players is uh, is a probably improves your chances of promotion. It's not quite that simple, uh, I would suggest, and it raises huge red flags about sustainability in football and the way that we're trying to go which is for clubs not to be raising their wage bills by over double just to build a better squad so that they might achieve a promotion because as we know if that doesn't work if it doesn't work again the generally there's only so long that you can lose that money especially with a, a source of income that realistically is is incredibly speculative absolutely not guaranteed uh, I'm a little concerned I think it's fair to say uh, but I echo what you say I'm also not someone that's going to rant and rave about something that frankly I, I feel I know even less about crypto than I do about science GCSE really the best interests of Femi gosh uh, Rochdale beat Walsall 1-0 and Conor Grant is a player that I like who I think might have quite a good season next season very technical player nice player scored a goal here good win for Rochdale and that's the end of the pod which has been fun. It's amazing how the pod starts just after I've eaten breakfast and then it finishes and it's lunchtime. Perfect, isn't it? Perfect yeah. way to spend the morning. Must have been a late breakfast. I, I've i enjoyed this podcast and I was going to say to you, and it's worth marking this, basically everything changes from this point. The pod gets quite anarchic in the last few weeks of the season. We won't care whether games have been draws or not. We won't care about any game really that's happened in the mid-table area. Are you up or down? Are you up or down? And next week, when they're up, they're up. we're going to record on Tuesday and there will be two game weeks between now and then. <sighs> Spicy. So join us yeah. then. If you've got to this point, well done. Make sure you subscribe to the pod. A retweet of it, always helpful uh, to reach new listeners as we approach the end of the EFL season. Have a great week. We'll be back again to preview Easter weekend on Wednesday or Thursday on The Betting Show. We can't wait for that.